We are venturing back into the third chapter of Romans. If you need a Bible, um, Joe will pass you out a Bible. Raise up your hand, and, uh, and he will get one to you. So the third chapter of Romans. We've started looking at the first eight verses. Uh, and so, anybody need a Bible? I think we're set. Well done. Hopefully that means that you're all bringing your Bible from home. I want to put Joe out of business. We're bringing our own Bible. Romans chapter 3. I'm going to read the verses again. As I explained last week, uh, the Lord has slowed me down a little bit, and prayerfully uh, that's because he has something that he needs to say to each of our hearts. And so uh, let's read these first eight verses again. It says this. What advantage then is there being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some were unfaithful? Would their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim we say, let us do evil, that good may result. Their condemnation is just. And we're going to focus on verse 3 and 4. I'm going to read it again. What if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that they may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Now, where we've come from is the fact that the objectors have said, okay, wait a minute, we're, we're chosen people of God. So that makes us special. And your gospel is telling us it has nothing to do with whether we're chosen by God or whether we have some um, ceremonies that we go by, but it, that, that there's something different going on behind the scenes. They, they believe this so much that... Uh, that in Romans, or excuse me, in John 8, they said, he said these words. Listen to what Jesus said. This is how much they believed in the lineage as being their salvation. So Jesus said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, lineage. And have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so these objectors are coming with the foundation of this. And 
Um, it says in, in, um, in verse, uh, verse 3, or excuse me, verse 2, that, well, what advantage? You've been entrusted with the very words of God. The, re- the reality that you've opened the book up in front of you and is actually reading it is a great trust that you have. God has given you his word. And so you can know him, you can know you, and you can see the truth. And as, as Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the second objection, if it's not our lineage, then it must be something wrong with God himself. Because God gave us these promises. And if it's not our lineage, it's not these, these um, uh, things that we, uh, that we observe, then there must be something wrong with God. And that's why they say this. And, and Paul is, is saying this. Um, so you're saying, Paul, that some are unfaithful, even of the chosen people. Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And so the objection of this gospel is it, it exposes faithless people. That must mean that God is unfaithful. John Stott said this, If some to whom God's promises were entrusted did not respond to them in trust, will their lack of trust destroy God's trustworthiness? The modern thought is, if people are leaving the church or seemingly not responding to the gospel, does that mean Christianity is not true? So the, the objector's um, uh, question is exposing a false belief that came out of a false security in lineage of the people, Jewish people. It is this belief that, we po- that because we're special, we possess a special knowledge. Now, I want you to see where this goes. It's subtle, but it has been over the church. It has been over the church. As though somehow this knowledge that we possess makes us special. In, 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 in John's day, um, he wrote the first, uh, John, uh, the first epistle of John um, to to directly hit this belief, there had been a there had been a um, a fusing of Eastern religion and also of uh, philosophical religion in his day that kind of came together, and it came together under something that's called Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a claim to knowledge, the knowledge of a kind which the ordinary believer is incapable of and in possession of which salvation uh, really comes in its full sense. Gnosticism was a type of religion philosophy only for the privileged. And so in 1 John 1, he addresses that right out of the gate in the fifth, through the fifth verse uh, of, the first, uh, of the first chapter and through the sixth. It says this, God is light in him. There is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. And so John was exposing this special knowledge that wasn't changing anybody. But they were holding on to it as though it was something that was real. 
And he was saying, listen, if you're not changed by the truth, you don't have possession of the truth. Now, it's deeper in this, though. So, like I said, Gnosticism says this. I'm special because I possess something. Christianity says, now listen carefully. I'm insignificant because I am possessed by the true Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ. He is my true significance. Changes everything. Changes everything. Cannot tell you how many people I have talked to that have said to me, the reason they don't go to church is because it is irrelevant to their life. Those people seem to to think they're something. They don't understand me. It is this attitude of, I am somehow superior to someone else because I have something that I possess. Christianity is really that you're possessed by the Spirit of God and changed and transformed and absolutely your life is no longer your own. It's insignificant any longer because his significance is more important to you. So Paul's hitting this right on. They're reacting to the gospel. They're saying, this gospel is telling me that that all the things I have done in the past, lineage and the ceremony stuff, means nothing. So what significance does this mean? So what then? So what's the point? Is Is this worthless? of what we've been doing, and Paul says, you notice in verse 4, not at all. It means, by no means, certainly not. God forbid, God is, listen to me, God is the only covenant-keeping being in all the universe. And he keeps his promises. He keeps his covenant. Because God is infinite, his faithfulness is forever Psalm 118, 90 says this, Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Psalm 105, 8 and 9 says this, He remembers his covenant forever and the promises he made for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. God, by no means, by no means is this insignificant. But if what's happening in front of your face doesn't point you to an infinite God who is a covenant-keeping God, who is absolutely in control of all things, and if your heart is not moved, then there's a problem. And yes, it can be, even within the chosen people, as we talked about last week. So how does a person separate the effect of an unfaithful people with the real? Have you found yourself... Let me ask you this question. Have you found yourself becoming more and more untrusting of people? (laughs) 
Felicia says, put your hand down. <laughs> yes. You know, it's interesting that God, God led me to a podcast. I don't know if anybody has heard of the guy, of a name of um, Francis Chan. But he wrote the book, Crazy Love. And, um, and he was speaking, and I think this was back in 2011 or 12, I think it was, that he was speaking. And I happened to come across this because I was looking over things about the faithfulness of God. And this came up. And so I, I, I listened to the first part of it. And, and he said these words. He said, um, he said, I have noticed that I have become more and more untrusting of people. Now, this is a pastor. There are 10,000 people listening to him speak. Something like that. I don't know what size this church was, but it was huge. And he said, he said, do you find the same thing? He is friends with Louis Giglio. You know who that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, do I trust him? He says, yeah, 75%, yeah. And then he said the name John Piper. And he said, and he says, do I trust him? Yeah, probably. He's older, so maybe 80, 85%. It's just interesting. How many of you have been let down by somebody? How many of you have let somebody down? Amen. Amen. It's Father's Day today, and uh, Neil Anderson wrote a book called The Bondage Breaker. And in this, he, uh, he came to realize something as he started to look at people's lives who were overwrought by sin. And he noticed that one thing that was happening, and I think it's important to say it on this day, that father pain was a huge contributor to what happens in the lives of people and in the direction that they go in their lives. When a father lets a child down, it becomes a very huge impact on their life and the movement. And so, and so when a father is neglectful or abusive or disinterested, um, it can begin to reflect not only in the heart of the person, but it also can begin to... Um, uh, start to develop their theology of God himself. And it can begin to translate over into how they view God. And so he put together uh, some things in which, um, uh, in which we, you talk about um, how God has made, or how your father has reflected the heavenly father and how that uh, has made you feel like God is distant and disinterested and critical and abusive and on and on on list. And then, and then he takes you to Scripture to show you what the Heavenly Father is really like. Is really like. And that's a huge thing. And so, yeah, I think that this is really important for us to understand this today. And there may be somebody here today that has viewed God through uh, the eyes of their father, and it has reflected a false view of God. And so, uh, that's just one. But, but how many, I mean, I, I have heard people say things like this. You know, that Christian's very critical. And if that's what Christianity is all about, I don't want anything to do with it. I've heard that. Maybe you have too. And so, 
Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? It has kept some people, maybe even in this room, away from the Lord. And so it's a, it's a very true question. But I believe that where the gospel takes us is to learn how to not be disillusioned by people and disappointed, but to focus on the one that is the true father. So he says a statement, and if you guys don't have this underlined in your Bible, I wish you would. It says, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God be true and every man a liar. What in the world? Calvin, John Calvin says this, this is the primary axiom of all Christian philosophy. Let God be true. So what's the biblical argument behind this? What's the biblical truth behind this that, that says this is true? First of all, God is a faithful God because it's his nature to be faithful. It's his nature. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. He is not like you and me at all. He is. Every very fiber of his being is truth. That's why he's faithful. You need to know that. That's where trust starts. It's the foundation of trust. I can trust God because he is faithful, truthful to the very core of who he is. So everything that you read in this book is true and it can be trusted. Second of all, God's promises always come true, period. Always come true. Joshua 23, 14 says, as he was about to die, he says, Now I'm about to go the way of the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Psalm, Psalm 145, 13, Your promises have been thoroughly tested. And Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. Now listen to me. What's the implication of this today? Everything I read in the Bible has happened or is happening or will happen. You know why you don't read Revelation? Because you're afraid. You're afraid. Because it's going to come true. You ought to be in Revelation. Because in your life, it could come true. And the Bible says you should be watchful. What does that mean? That means you ought to be in the word. You ought to be uh, looking at the culture and saying, I see God's word coming true. And I'm ready. Because I'll be honest with you, that's part of keeping the lamp, the, 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 your oil in your lamp full is being in God's word and being alert what's happening in culture and being alert to what's going on. That is part of it. If you're not doing that, your lamps are not full of oil. You'll not be ready 
for the bridegroom to, to come. And so, God's promises always come true. Third, God's promises are received conditionally based on obedience driven by faith. Deuteronomy 28.9 says this, The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he has promised you an oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. So listen to me, this is important. God's promises, God's faithfulness is unconditional. Man's experience of those promises are conditional on the response of obedience through faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. The grace of God is the only reason. I, I love the line. It says, I don't want to abuse your grace. I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I love that line. It is the grace of God that makes me want to change, that makes me want to surrender to the holiness of Jesus Christ and to change because he is the strength in me to change. But it is conditional. Don't you base it on the fact that you were raised in the church. Don't you base the fact that you've been sitting in the church for years. Don't base it on the fact that you say, well, I believe in God. So what? So do the demons, and they shudder. What difference has believing in God made in your life caused you to walk and follow him? Caused you to surrender. Now this fourth one, so, so, so God is faithful God, because it's his nature. His promises always come true. His promises are conditional based on obedience that's driven by faith. And finally, God, and this, this is an important one, God's promises are made to his son who lives in the heart of all believers. I want you to go with me to... Um, well, do you remember I read at the start of this time together, I read the verse, uh, 2 Timothy 2.13 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he what? He cannot do what? Lie. No, he cannot, dis, he cannot disown himself. Why does he say that? Because he's faithful, his promises are faithful to the Jesus that lives inside of us. It's not a religion, it's not something you do exteriorly. It's change of heart that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, Wayne, prove that. Okay, I will. Galatians 3, 16th verse. Go with me. Galatians 3, the 16th This is the section where Paul is talking about the, you know, the law versus promise. And uh, the 16th verse says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, 
meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Who is Christ. This goes back to Genesis 12, 7, Genesis 13, 15, and Genesis 24, 7, in which the covenant was spoken, but it was not spoken again. We talked about chosen people. God does choose people, but his, the chosenness comes and the election comes through the Son, through the seed, Jesus Christ. And so it's God's promises Um, come to what dwells within the heart of the human beings, to Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of Christ, and God cannot disown his own. If you have Jesus Christ living in you because you've received him as Lord and Savior, he cannot disown his own. Even if you're faithless with the Spirit of God living in you, he is still faithful to that Spirit living in you. And guess what? There are going to be some conversations happening because the Spirit speaks the truth, it, 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 it reveals the righteousness of God, and it, it reminds you of the judgment. You know, I, I, I'm just thinking about this, and this is just added. Have you ever you've had where you have, as a Christian, you have struggled with judgment, you've struggled kind of like feeling like condemnation, like, you know, I'm not quite living up to it, and, you know, is, you know, is, 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 is the judgment going to come down on me? It's amazing how the evil one will use the truth of the Holy Spirit to try to pervert what's going on. You have to remember this. Anytime that you feel conviction from God, it's always for your restoration. It's always for your good. It's always to say, my child, you're not living the way you said you would. Here is the difference. Now come back, repent, and let's walk together. Anytime that you say, you you hear in your voice, your your mind, you dirty, rotten person, you, you blew it again, you just can't quite live up to this, that's the evil one trying to trump on the train of the gospel. Kick him off. I rebuke you, Lord. That's not from you, Lord. That is from the evil one. I don't accept this. And then allow the restoration and the repentance to happen. And so, let God be true and faithful because it's his nature. His promises always come true. His promises are experienced conditionally by obedience through faith, and it is made to the Son who is the seed. Now, how do we reconcile the second half of this equation? The second half is this, and every human being a liar. This line comes from Psalm uh, 116.10. And listen to the whole whole verse. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. Everyone is a liar. The Jewish false belief uh, had translated superiority to the chosen people which removed sinful responsibility. But the gospel that Paul proclaimed that the Messiah had come and revealed the equality of sinfulness for all humanity. Thus the statement, every human being a liar, meaning every human being has a nature of sin. 
Now listen to what Jesus said when he responds, when he talked about this. In John 15, the 22nd verse to the 25th, he said these words. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. See the revelation that's happening? That, that he's exposing the fact that even though they say that they're the chosen people of God, because they hated Jesus, they hated the father. The father was not their father. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Now, Paul's going to further on in chapter 3 explain this and really kind of bring this all together. Many of you know those verses. But right now, I want you to just show that the faithfulness of God brings an equality to mankind in regards to sin. You see, God's truth is not based on human reaction but on the truth that it is the very fiber of his nature to be truthful and trustworthy. Some of us in this room, you know very well, have not reacted to what you know. You know the truth and you've lived a completely different way. And the faithfulness of God is not dependent on your reaction. It's dependent on his nature. And even if you walk away, even if you turn away, God is still faithful. And it will be proved when you face him, when you face him face to face, your life comes before you as a picture. Every scene seen, and he looks at you and says, away from me, I never knew you. Your life just proved it. Because although you said you're a believer... The picture we have seen has just shown you walking farther and farther away from me. And so what is the litmus test of change? What is that? Well, it's in this verse. It says, so let, let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Psalm 51, 4 is where this verse comes from. And it's, the whole thing is, says this. And this, is, this was transformative in my life. It says this. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. It's going back to 1 John where it talks about that God is light. He is the illumination of truth. He is the one that created truth and the one that upholds truth. All action comes under the light and the lamp of God and nothing is hidden from him. False religion is a religion of cover-up. True faith is now I see what God sees. I see my sin. I see myself for who I really am. So what response is there to these few verses? How can we respond to a God that is faithful to his promises, who is perfect and is the measure of goodness and truth? A God whose own word is the verification of his faithfulness and whose judgment is its own justification. There's only one response. Obedience that comes from the heart. 
It's only one response. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7 says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. MacArthur says this. God never promised that any, any individual Jew no matter how pure his physical lineage from Abraham or from other, any other of the great saints of the Old Testament could claim security in God's promises apart from repentance and personal faith in God, resulting in obedience from the heart. God has always and only receives from us faith that causes a heart to be open to him. No sense of former structure of religion that promotes exterior religious appearance, but it covers up the heart that is closed will ever be acceptable to God. He wants your whole heart. As we think about the response to God's eternal promises, I think... As I, as I last week read to you this horrific list of what the Jews have gone through over historical time, if you remember that, but just, you know, from, from Egypt 400 years on, there has, there has been a constant to, uh, either persecution or because of their uh, rebellion to God, um, uh, enslavement that's happened. And even today, in our day, they continually are hounded and hated and sought after to be destroyed. And yet, everyone who's tried to destroy these people have been unsuccessful. Because God is faithful to his promises. And God is still for his chosen people. But there's a severe warning, not only for the Jews, but for us also, and that is this. Amos 3.2 says, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. You're sitting here today because God's chosen you. What a great privilege that is. Think about that. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. That's a great warning. That is a great warning for us today. Grace is not a pass from sin, but faith in Christ is the power to overcome sin. Grace reveals your sin, and you have in this world an opportunity to respond if you take it. Grace is the only reason as he has always been faithful. I want to follow him. Because he has always been faithful. He's always been faithful. One of the great verses of scripture that people don't always think about is Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Somebody once said that it's not a great sign when you don't go through punishment. 
and when you don't go through rebuke because it's a sign that you're an illegitimate child. Today, yes, people have been unfaithful. I heard along with, um, I heard along with uh, my news with the CRC that right now uh, there are, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's in a specific location or if it's all over, but there are 100 CRC churches that do not have pastors. And they're having a hard time finding those who will stand up in front and proclaim the gospel. One of the reasons why these young men don't go to the established church is because they are afraid of the leaderships, which they have heard have been very abusive. And so they're either starting churches or they're going and helping other people. They're not going into established churches. There has been a great unfaithfulness that has broken out even in the church. And so people of God, let God be true and every man a liar. Let God put you in the right place. He's God. You're not. He loves you and has given his son for you. Surrender to that. Repent of your unfaithfulness. And let's become a people that begin to show the world the light of the gospel to our hearts. It's time. You've got to do this. As I'm looking across, the, I, I just, I, just I, I know there are people that are, that are discipling others. There's a man that needs to read a Bible for the first time in his life who intellectually does not accept God, but he has never opened the Bible. There's a woman who probably wanted to know if there was some benefit to coming to a church, and when that doesn't happen, does she really believe in this God? There's a husband who is living in unbelief when his wife is standing up and, and God is changing her and transforming her right in front of him. Will she accept that? There is someone who has, who has spent time in prison. And God is calling to set him free. What's your story? Our God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. And his promises will always come true. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come and we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are God of all and King of kings. And we love you. Lord, I have to confess there has been times in my life where my own unfaithfulness and the unfaithfulness of those in front of me have sometimes caused me to, to wonder about your faithfulness. But your gospel proclaims to us that you were so faithful that you sent your son, gave his life for us so that we could have life. And so, Father, may I and may we
Lord, take um, stock in your promises. May we trust in your promises. May we believe them. There's some people this week that are going to go through some real hard things. There's some people in here that might have diagnoses that don't look real great. There are people that are going to go through situations that are going to be very difficult. And those times, Father, may they hold on to your promises. May they trust you that you've never left nor or failed them. Uh, that, Lord, that you um, are the one who has overcome death. That you're the one that has overcome um, relational brokenness. That you're the one that has overcome all things so that they can walk through what they're going to walk through. We desperately need you, Lord. You are faithful. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.